here. You got your Bibles today ready. We're going to be in several different places. Um, the, the sermon today, the final one on the incarnation of Christ, is simply called Truly Human and Truly God. Now, this, it's kind of interesting. This is the sermon that I based the whole series on. And um, I have been digging into this for about the last three months. So you, you should be afraid. I have three months of material up here. <laughs> now, and in all truth, I couldn't, I couldn't get satisfied with it. Partially because I'm a C-minus student, I'm trying to wrap my mind around the incarnation of God into human flesh. That, even an A-plus student is going to struggle with that one. But then also, how do I put this together? Now, I listened and read some phenomenal seminary-level lectures that the information was incredible, but the presentation will put you right to sleep. It's what's called Sermon X. <laughs> Great information, but wow. Uh, when I preached at my father-in-law's church last week, I had a fellow come up to me who was visiting from out of town, and he said, man, he said, what, that, was, that was so refreshing to hear a sermon that was interesting. He said, my pastor has phenomenal input and information in his sermon, but he's as dry as toast. <laughs> so I'm going to do my best not to make the incarnation boring to you. But here's why I'm passionate to, to share this with you today. It's because of this. In a recent survey, 43% of evangelical Christians, that, that would be our kind of people, um, say that Jesus wasn't, didn't need to be truly God in order to be our Savior. 43%. So today I want to I try to clear some things up. And I'm going to do this as simply as I can. But I want to tell you today, and I'm going to hold it to the end. At the end I'm going to have a big so what. That's the third point. So what. What does this mean to me? What am I supposed to do with this information? How should it affect me? And, and, and there are some glorious truths in here that will absolutely change our thinking and change our life. So to start with, I want you to write this down in your outline. It's not in there. Just write it down maybe at the top somewhere. It's the hypostatic, H-Y-P-O, and then static like you get in the winter day, hypostatic union. Aren't you excited that you made it to church to learn about the hypostatic union this morning? <laughs> now, when you understand what it is, you will be excited. This is one of the most glorious truths in all of Scripture, and it deals, obviously, with the incarnation of Jesus Christ. So let me just jump right off in point number one. How do we explain Jesus? When I was teaching a systematic theology class last year, I had a group of 20 very intelligent, bright, super sharp young people in a Christian setting. And I said, I'd take out a piece of paper at the beginning of class and in one paragraph write down and explain to me the person of Jesus being truly God and truly man. And then I started in the front row. I said, read your, read your explanation. And he did. And I said, everybody that has a similar explanation, raise your hand. And they did. And I said, congratulations. You are part of uh, docetism, which was a first century heresy. And we went through the entire class. And everyone in that class, except for one person, fit in a first century heresy about the person of Jesus. And only one student 
gave me a biblical and historically accurate answer that came right out of the uh, Chalcedonian definition of Jesus, which I will share with you today. And that's because her father, who if I said his name, you would all recognize it as a nationally syndicated uh, personality. Uh, her father disciples her. And this girl knows her theology. She knows who Jesus is. You say, why is this so important? Because if you get Jesus wrong, you get everything wrong. And if you get the person of Jesus wrong, listen to me, it has eternal consequences. We can't, hey, get algebra wrong. Get psychology wrong. It's mostly wrong to start with. Get spelling wrong. I do it all the time. Don't get Jesus wrong. You can't afford today to be wrong on, on the person of Jesus Christ. So I want to jump in and explain. Here's the right answer that this girl gave me only in an expanded format. And here it is. It's on your, it's on your sheet today. It'll come up on the screen. Jesus was one person with two natures. He is one person with two natures. He is the his, historical person of Jesus Christ, and he has two natures. And those two natures, and you might jot this down, we'll, we'll get into it in a second, um, is, of course, a human nature and a divine nature, the, the nature of God and the nature of man. So let me, let me, let me put this, I think I, I might have put this on the screen, Sam, I can't remember. But let me give you a definition from uh, Murray, who was one of a great theologian of the past. He said this, the incarnation means this, he who never began to be in his specific identity as the son of God began to be what he eternally was not. Now, I know, I just saw the faces. I saw the furrowed brows. I'm like, what? That sounds like, like Yoda from Star Wars. Uh, let's, let's read it again, and I want you to think about it. This is, this is a, a wonderful definition of the incarnation of God becoming man. He who never began to be in his specific identity as the Son of God. What's that mean? It's, it's John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. As God was, so was the Word in a, in a, in a wooden translation. Okay, so, so Jesus existed before he walked the planet as Jesus of Nazareth. Are you with me? That's what this is saying. So the incarnation means that he who never began to be, he had no beginning as the Son of God. He is the second person of the Trinity. God has always existed. And if your mind's not blown right there, you're not listening. I remember as a boy of Jack's age, uh, laying on the hill... Um, across the street from our house at night, looking at the stars and contemplating that truth right there, that God had no beginning. And I would do that until I had goosebumps running up and down my arms because my, my nine-year-old brain couldn't comprehend it. Well, my 56-year-old brain still can't. But it's true nonetheless, amen? Uh, Jesus never had a beginning as the second person of the Trinity. And yet, he had a beginning as the historical person of Jesus Christ. He was born and had that specific beginning. If Bethlehem did birth certificates, he'd have one. 
He had a start as a human being, which, which was something he had never had before because he was eternally and has no beginning. Is that getting a little bit clearer? I hope you wrote that statement down in there. So let me unpack that just quickly. And I am going to tell you, I'm going to run through these first two because I'm going to really unpack them in the last point. But it's simply this. Jesus had a truly human nature. In other words, Jesus was truly human and he had the human nature that goes with it with the exception of sin. His human nature was not fallen because his line comes from God the Father, not from Adam. He is even called the second Adam, which we'll talk about in a moment. So how do you know in Scripture, when we're reading the historical record, we're going through Mark right now, how do you know when, when, when it's Jesus' human nature that's being recorded or it's his divine nature that's being recorded? Well, for example... Jesus said things that obviously came out of his human nature when he said on the cross, I thirst. That's a, do you think God thirsts? No. Uh, when, when Mark recorded it for us, we went through it. When, when uh, Jesus is sound asleep, talk about, talk about his human nature. He's so tired, he sleeps through a hurricane. And the boat's filling up with water, and he's still asleep. Right? And he stands up, and the Bible says he rebukes the wind and the waves. And he says these, these words, peace to the wind and be still to the waves, right? Well, that's speaking out of his God nature, right? Um, here's another example. He, he was speaking one time and, and he said, he's, they said, when, when are you going to return? Jesus said, I don't know. The father has set in his own authority that day. I don't know. Wait a minute. You mean God doesn't know? No, Jesus is speaking out of his human nature. And in his humanity, he did not know that day. If you look also, this is something that, interested me until I really began to unpack this personally, when he is being tried, this first trial before the high priest, the chief priest, and Jesus speaks to the chief priest and answers him, and he gets slapped in the face, and he said, you're going to speak that way to the chief priest? And Jesus said, oh, I didn't realize he was the chief priest. How could he not know something? Because he's speaking out of his human nature, just like, are there any things that you don't know? Yeah, yeah. Jesus was just like us. All right, but he also, he also had a divine nature. And that's the next one in your point on the screen. He had a divine nature, such as in Mark, when he says to the guy, the paralytic that's let down through the roof, your sins are forgiven you. And rightly, his detractors, the Pharisees and Sadducees, looked at that and said, uh, time out, who can forgive sins but God? Right. So connect those dots. They, they wouldn't. But he speaks as God out of his divine nature. Your sins are forgiven you. Again, the, the waters, peace be still. And then jot this one down, John 5, 58. You talk about speaking out of your divine nature. Jesus says to the religious elite before Abraham was, I am. He doesn't say I was. He says what? I am. He's the eternally present God, that word I am, that, that, that is a title for God, Jehovah, the Almighty God Himself. And those people lost their minds when Jesus said that. If he'd make Himself out to be God, He's got to go. So He is speaking out of His God nature at that point. Are you with me? Jesus had, but, but He was still one person. I'm going to unpack that here in a second. One person, but He has two distinct natures. Right? You with me? Super important to understand this. Here's point number two. Um, the historical path 
based on the Word of God and the totality of Revelation. Okay, so here's the deal. How did we come to understand this with more clarity today? Now, I came up, and my schooling and education was, was such that uh, we were Baptists before we were Christians. I'm not even kidding. And it was all about Baptist history. And literally, not lying to you, the whole of my uh, teach learning about church history was not one whole, not one semester class, one day of one class during church history where they mentioned a guy named Martin Luther and they mentioned a guy named Augustine. That's all I knew. So I say that to say it was a big chunk of my education that I received on my own after leaving school through a lot of reading and, and, and a lot of conversations with people who understood it better than I. One of those being Nick Brown, Pastor Nick Brown, who was here for a time and is now serving uh, Christ Church in Jackson, Tennessee. So let me tell you about the historical path. Here's what happened. We have these things, in, and on the back of your bulletin, you'll see them here. We're going to start with the bottom one, the Nicene Creed. We have these meetings that happened. Meetings of the church in order to address important issues. And the very first one is called the Council of Nicaea. The Council of Nicaea. And this happens, I don't know if I put it in your outline, uh, 325 A.D. Write that down, 325 A.D. Why is that important? Why is that important? What happened? What happened in uh, the early 300s A.D.? That's exactly right. One person. One person. I'm a little disappointed in my CC kids. Constantine. Say it, Beth. Constantine legalizes Christianity. Yes, Constantine legalizes and not only legalizes Christianity, he makes Christianity the religion of Rome. Now, before that, Christianity, Christians were persecuted. They were literally thrown to wild animals in, 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 in the uh, arena. And they were murdered and executed for their faith. And all of a sudden, uh, Constantine makes this deal with God. If you help me out of this battle, you know, I'll, I'll turn the nation over to you. There's some sketchy stuff that goes on there. I'm not going to deny that. But here, just 15 years later, uh, after Constantine makes all of Rome Christian, we had to have an entire first church business meeting outside of Acts 15. It was a Jerusalem council was the first one. That's at least recorded in, in Scripture. Scripture's done by now. So we have, we have to bring all the, all the bishops and pastors together and we got to discuss something. And guess what they're discussing? The incarnation. Here's why. There was a lot of bad ideas floating around out there. They said, we got to bring this together and get this thing right, as right as we can get it. You following me? And it's only 15 years later. That's all it takes for us to say, we got too many people saying too many different things. Let's get together. Let's take the Word of God and let's take the totality of Revelation and let's figure out from there what does the Word teach us. And as I said, there were bishops and there were priests there, two different levels. And there was a guy who was a priest and his name was uh, Arius. And Arius, the priest actually at this council was denounced as a heretic because Arius was teaching that Jesus did not exist until he was born in Bethlehem. And as a result of that, he was not of the same substance of God. 
And he was given a time to speak to the bishops. And he was speaking and there was starting to be some rumbles and there was starting to be some pushback. So, so Arius got tired of answering the questions from scripture and he started singing. By the way, heretics are good at making up songs. He literally wrote hymns about this heresy. And it is said that, that when Nicholas of Myrna, by the way, that's the OG Santa Claus, that's St. Nicholas who Santa's based on, Nicholas of Myrna who was a bishop, when he tried to question him, it said that, that Arius began singing uh, one of his hymns, something to the effect of, uh, before Bethlehem, the sun was not. Sam, throw that next picture up here. Here's, here's what our dear Santa Claus did to the heretic Arius. They said he literally got up from his seat, walked over, and proceeded to punch him in the mouth. That's my kind of Santa. You know? I saw a funny meme that said, it's Santa Claus. He said, I came to give gifts and punch heretics in the mouth and I'm fresh out of gifts. <laughs> he literally walks over, socks Arius in, the, in his blasphemous mouth, and he is immediately, by order of Constantine, arrested. His robe is taken off, which is called being defrocked. He's no longer a bishop, and he's thrown in jail behind bars. There's some weird church tradition, some things that possibly happened that night, and in the morning Constantine repents, brings him out, puts his robes back on, Santa Claus. You with me? That's my kind of guy. And he literally got it and he socked that guy in the mouth because he was espousing things that were untrue about the historical Jesus. And in the Nicene Creed, you see in the back there, matter of fact, let's all say this together. It's not going to be on the screen, but it's on the back of your listening sheet, the bottom one, the Nicene Creed. Let's begin. We believe in one God, the Father, the almighty maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, one in being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he was born of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. Now there's an addendum to it about the Holy Spirit, uh, but I wanted to get that part in there. The, very God from very God. Begotten, not made. He is not a created being. He is the one who created the created beings. The historical Jesus and the eternal Son of God are one and the same person. He has two natures. You would think that would fix it forever and always. I wish. Fast forward 126 years and you have the Council of Chalcedon. Uh, and, and we have what's called the Chalcedonian Creed is produced 
out of that. And the reason for this is we're still having trouble and there are still heresies popping up. That's why when you read First uh, John and, first, and John says in there, hey, anybody who says that Jesus did not come in the flesh is to be anathema. He is not of God. You say, well, we believe Jesus came in the flesh. Well, they, they didn't. That's a first century Gnostic heresy. And, 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 and actually, it's come back. It's becoming popular again. That's why we need to understand these things. So Chalcedon meets 125 years, 26 years later. And they, they had to refine what has already been said. And there you have your Chalcedonian creed. Uh, let's read that together. Let's begin. Therefore, following the Holy Fathers, we all with one accord teach men to acknowledge one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ at once complete in Godhead and complete in manhood, truly God and truly man, consisting also of a reasonable soul and body, of one substance with the Father as regards his Godhead, and at the same time of one substance with us as regards his manhood. Like us in all respects apart from sin, as regards his Godhead, begotten of the Father before the ages, but yet as regards his manhood, begotten for us men and for our salvation of Mary the Virgin, the God-bearer, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten. Pay attention here. Recognize in two natures without confusion, without change, without division, and without separation. The distinction of natures being in no way annulled by the union, but rather the characteristics of each nature being preserved and coming together to form one person and substance, not as parted or separated into two persons but one and the same Son, and only begotten God the Word, Lord Jesus Christ, even as the prophets from the earliest times spoke of Him. And our Lord Jesus Christ Himself taught us, and the creed of the fathers has handed down to us. And they're referring to the Nicene Creed specifically here. Okay, so we see this historical path. And I just want to point out real quick, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but, but I even highlighted it and underlined it in the middle there. It says, he is one person, he's not Jesus the man and Jesus God, he's just Jesus, right? One person, but he has two natures. He has a true human nature, just like yours, except without sin, and he has the true nature of God. And they, they exist. But here's what they don't do. Look at what it says there. There's no confusion between them. They're not mixed up. There's no change. And those two go together. Confusion and change. You say, what's that mean? Take you back to kindergarten. Ready to go back to kindergarten? I was telling my wife. I said, baby, I'm having such a hard time putting this sermon together. I said, I always preach my sermons to Jack. Jack is my, is, is the, I, I try to develop these sermons so that Jack can understand them. Because I figure if Jack can understand it, none of the rest of you got, a, got, a, got an excuse. 
although he is pretty smart. Um, I might need to start going down here. <laughs> I'll start doing it for Simon, maybe. Uh, but, but here's the reality. What, what happens in, in, in kindergarten? You, found, you discover in a kindergarten that if you take a little bit of blue uh, food dye and a little bit of red food dye and you mix them together, do they stay the same color? What does it become? Purple. And, and, and one of the first century her, her, heresies uh, called Nestorianism basically taught that. Well, God just poured some humanity in Jesus and some deity in Jesus, and he became a third thing. A third thing. It's kind of like taking, taking uh, oranges, apples, and bananas, and blueberries, and putting them in a blender. What do you get? You get a smoothie. Je- Jesus was not a God-man smoothie. He wasn't a third thing. There was no confusion. There was no mixture. There was also no separation and no division. He was one person. You see the clarity of this statement and how vital it is to understand because it's all going to come to the cross. If Jesus, listen, if Jesus doesn't get to the cross as truly man and truly God, one person with two natures, it took both of those natures to purchase our redemption. And if he don't get to the cross in that form, you and I aren't saved. And we have no hope for eternity. That's how important this is today. All right. And then the last one I got up there I'm going to go through in a minute is uh, the New City Catechism, questions 20 to 23. We're going to look at those here in just a second. But I will say question 20 says, what kind of redeemer is needed to bring us back to God? And the answer is one who is truly human and also truly God. And then we're going to go through questions 22 and 23 here in just a second. All right, so if if you're still with me, let's look at number three, the necessity and purpose of a proper grasp of the hypostatic union. The necessity and the purpose. What's the, this is your so what. So Jack, you can write in there, so what. So what, Dad? Why I got a, Jesus is one person, but he's got a human nature. He's got a God nature, and they're not mixed up into some kind of new nature. They're separate but they're all together functioning in the person of Jesus. Why do I got to know that? What's, what's, what's the big deal? Number one, this illustrates Jesus' perfect obedience. Don't miss this, as a man. As a man. Why do I need a man to obey God's law perfectly? Okay, who started the mess? Guy named what? Adam. Did he obey God's law perfectly? No. He didn't. A man broke the system. And it's going to take a man to repair it. You with me? If Jesus came for cats, he'd be a cat. If Jesus had come for dogs, he'd be born as a dog. Jesus came for you and I, and he was born just like us. Right? And it illustrates this. Uh, just jot it down. Romans 5, 12 to 21. He's called the second Adam. The second Adam. Whereas by one man's sin entered the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. You see, one man broke it and one man fixed it. It takes a man. He's got to be truly man. Because a, a true man broke it. And a true man must redeem it. It tells it, it illustrates, takes us to the virgin birth. In one sense, Jesus came to this world the same way we did. He came through his mom. Now we understand his conception was different. Jot this down, Luke 2 and verse 52. What does the Bible say? It's that whole thing where, remember he stayed back in Jerusalem? 
at 12 years old. And I've had some people say, see, that's a sin. He disobeyed his parents. No. At 12 years old, he was bar mitzvah. He was considered a full son of the law. He was a man. He could do what he wanted to. Right? And then Mary and Joseph come back to him, and they have the whole discussion. And the Bible says he goes back to them with them and was under submission to them. And it says this, And Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God, and in favor with man. Did you hear what I just said? Jesus grew. He matured. By the way, there were some things Jesus did not know. I've heard such horrible preaching on this. Oh, you know, Jesus must have been joy in school. He got everything right. No. No, he didn't. He was a man just like you. He probably misspelled stuff. He, now, his, his divine nature knew everything. But the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that he literally gave up. Now, he didn't give up his, his being divine, but he gave up the use and the privileges of being God. And we've got to be careful there because some false teachers like, like Bill Johnson and Todd White teach that Jesus was not divine and that he totally rejected his divinity in his entire walk on earth. Not true. Not true at all. So we've got to be careful here. This is, there's nuanced. But all of that to say, Jesus had a normal human development. His titles tell us of his humanity. The Son of Man. The Man Christ Jesus. The Son of David. Those are all human terms. And there were over 300 human prophecies in the Old Testament explaining exactly who the Messiah, the Christ, would be and how he would get here and where he would come from. Even where he would live, two separate locations. Out of Egypt I called my son. When was Jesus in Egypt? As a toddler. Right? Until Herod dies. All of these he fulfills. And some mathematician which... Brothers and sisters, your pastor is not. Uh, put this together. He, he just took eight. Now, Jesus fulfills over 300. This mathematician said the numbers are too high. Let me just take eight. For one person to fulfill eight of the Messianic prophecies would be this number. One to the 1,017th power. That's the chances of one person fulfilling eight. Brothers and sisters, he fulfilled 300. Human prophecies as a human being. Are you with me? So here's the question from New City Catechism, question number 22. Why must the Redeemer be truly human? Why, does, why, why is it important? Why does it matter? Well, here's the, the, the answer to that, that in human nature, he might on our behalf perfectly obey the whole law. Did Jesus perfectly obey the whole law? Yeah. Yes, he did. Anybody happy for that today? You better be. That's what, that's what partially qualifies him to get on that cross and bear your law breaking. Look at, uh, just jot it down, Hebrews 2.17. Here's what the scripture says. Therefore in all things, how many things church? All things, I think it's on the screen. Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God. Remember, a priest goes to God on behalf of the, of, of the sinful people. He's a priest, isn't he? He's going to God on behalf of the sinful people, bearing the sin himself, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. You see it? Propitiation, bearing the wrath of God as a man. Jot this one down, Romans 5, 19. It also will be up there. And, and, and the rest of the catechism goes, the answer goes this, and to suffer the punishment for human sin as a human. That's... 
That's the next thing that Jesus does. He has to be human because he has to suffer the punishment for human sin as a human himself. Romans 5, 19, the scriptures say, and also that he might, uh, or excuse me, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Who is that one man church? Adam. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. First Adam, second Adam. All right, here's the rest of the answer. Next slide. And also that he might sympathize with our weaknesses. Anybody glad that Jesus gets that? For if we do not have a high priest, Hebrews 4.15, who cannot, or we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus gets us so that we might get him. He's a man with a true human nature. Hebrews 2.18, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, He's able to aid those who are tempted. He knows what it's like. He has walked in your shoes. Yet without sin, as he relies on the Holy Spirit. Where do we see the Holy Spirit in Jesus? At his baptism. When did you get the Holy Spirit? At your baptism. When you were placed into Jesus spiritually, you, you got filled with the Holy Spirit. What's the next thing we see the Holy Spirit doing with Jesus? Literally driving him, like with a whip, into the wilderness for a 40-day retreat with the Father. Everything Jesus did was in reliance on the Holy Spirit. Same way we do it. Same way we do it. It indicates... So that's the first one. Here's the next one, number two. It indicates Jesus' ability to obey and suffer for sin completely and effectively. It indicates Jesus, now we're talking ability. As a man, he had to do, he had to obey as a man because a man messed it up. You with me? Adam, Adam messed it up. The second Adam fixes it. So he had to be human. But how is it, you tell me that, how is a human being going to bear the wrath, the eternal wrath of God against the sin of all of the elect? How is one man going to do that? A human's not. That takes a divine nature, right? And then we see this in question 23 of the New City Catechism. Look on the screen and here's what it says. Why must the Redeemer be truly God? Why does he have to be God? And here's, here's the answer. That because of his divine nature, his obedience and suffering would be perfect and effective and also that he would be able to bear the righteous anger of God against sin. Check this out. And yet overcome death. You see it? I'm not making it up, am I? It's right there. Because of his divine nature, what? His obedience and suffering would be, that word perfect means complete. He would complete, completely obey, but he would also completely suffer. He would absorb every last drop of the wrath of Almighty God against your sin and against mine. Selah. Sit and think on that one. Merry Christmas to us. Wow. Well, you say, wait a minute, Pastor. If, if Jesus has absorbed all of God's wrath against my sin, what does God have left for me? You ever heard of the prodigal son? When you've been stupid, you've sinned it up, and you think God can't even forgive me, 
You know what he's got for you? He's got a robe, a ring, sandals, a kiss on the neck, and a cow that's fixing to die. Why? Jesus bore all your sin. He's only got grace left for us. And you had to be God to pull that off. We're going to skip that song, Paul. Um, and then these go really quick, so don't fear. Here's the next one underneath that. It's the so what. It informs our understanding. It informs our understanding. It keeps us from confusion. It keeps us from those first century heresies that are creeping back into the church. It makes sense of the biblical record that Jesus, that our faith is a cogent, rational faith. It, Jesus makes sense. Now, will we ever fully grasp it in our feeble minds? Probably not. But does Jesus make sense? Yes. And scriptures helped us do that. The church councils over the years have helped us to clarify the reality of who is this Jesus? One person and two natures. It informs our understanding. And it's good to know. What's the old saying? Knowledge is what, church? Power. Power to what? Well, that's the next one. It ignites our worship. Understanding. Say, and, and, I, and I was struggling with this as I was trying to put this sermon together. You know, what, what does this do? But I found myself being so distracted from the outline, listen, because I was so overwhelmed with the person of Jesus Christ. I couldn't, what I'm saying is I couldn't stop worshiping so I could work. And I'm slow. But God said, uh, Paul, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Right? It ignites our worship. He was just like me, but he stayed God. Not mixed together into a third thing, not separated here and here. One per and he exists today in the same form. And one day I'm going to be just like him. I'm going to have the same glorified body. And, and, and the fallenness of my flesh is going to be removed like a surgery and that flesh is going to be made perfect, and I'm going to get to live on a new earth and a new heaven. I'm going to work for the glory of God. We're going to gather in the new Jerusalem. We're going to, you think fellowship meal is good here? you got nothing compared to with the feasts that are going to take place in the presence of our king. And that ignites our worship and our wonder. Wow, only God could pull this off. What man could even think of it? The best we could do are these, these fallen, wretched demigods of, of Greek and Roman mythology, which, by the way, are taken, stolen straight out of Scripture. You want to see the historical accuracy of it? Genesis 6. don't have time for that. Lastly, number, whatever the number is, I don't think I've lost it. It inspires righteous living. It inspires righteous living living he gets it he's been tempted but he never gave in and he's there to help me when i'm tempted and he is he is me he gets me but he's also god and i have access to the throne room to get my help in time of need one person two natures and he is worth it he is helping me he gets us so that we can get him. It's his ability to absorb this wrath of God fully that brings us about to pay an eternal infinite price in six temporal finite hours. You ever think about that? And I'm closing with this. 
How long was Jesus on the cross? I just gave it away. Six hours. We see that in the historical record very plainly. How long do you have to pay for your sins and suffer for your sins if you burst into eternity without bending the knee to King Jesus and accepting his forgiveness and sacrifice in your place? How long you got to be in hell? Ain't six hours. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You ever stop and think about that? God, come on, God. Six hours equals eternity? How can that be? Brothers and sisters, you and I better be glad he was God. Because only the God man could endure, listen to me, an eternity's worth of the wrath of God in six hours on that cross. Only God could do it. He, he endured eternity in hell for everyone who will bow the knee here. You ever stop and think of it? And he did it in six hours. He did it in his human body. His human nature suffered. His human nature on the cross cried out, I thirst. His human nature cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Only time in scripture he refers to the Father as God and not Father. Why? Because he is taking our place. And until our sins are paid for, God is not my Father. He's my just judge. And that just judge poured all the just wrath into Jesus, my Savior, my Lord, and my King. One person with two natures. And in his human nature, he cries out on the cross. But then in his combined uh, separate nature of, 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 of the divine, he says, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And his humanity dies. But oh, three days later, <laughs> that deity woke up that humanity and said, it's time to get going. <laughs> Amen. And as we sang this morning, and I wanted to get up there and beat on those drums with Tom, the, the stone was rolled away and a glorious triumphant king burst out of that tomb. And he said, the way is prepared. 50 days later, he ascends to the Father and every time Satan comes to God saying, did you see what they did? Jesus said, not guilty, paid for that. Amen? He is our defense attorney who has never lost a case and never will. Why does it matter? It matters because if Jesus is not truly God and truly man, if there's not a way to understand that through the scriptures, then we are lost. But oh, brothers and sisters, we are not because of a good God who created a perfect way for us to understand what he has done to us, for us, and through us in the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? Our, our, our team will come. We're going to sing a song called, Oh, Come All You Unfaithful. Anybody here ever been unfaithful this week? Right? He's talking to you. Come, adore him. Realize that he was born truly God, truly man. One person, two distinct natures. Not mixed, not separated, not confused. Forever, eternally, in this form that we might recognize him.
as the one who bears the only scars in heaven. Father, ignite our worship, inspire our righteous living, inform our understanding. Help us to realize that Jesus' true humanity and true deity must be formed in a way that only you could pull off, only you could have designed before the foundation of the world. And help us to worship in wonder and repent quickly. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.